Welcome to the podcast of River City Community Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.rivercitychicago.com. setting the stage for us. I thought that was a really wonderful time of prayer and praise. It's good to see you all, the faithful few who are here between Christmas and New Year's. This is a, this is such a wonderful but funky time of year, isn't it? That kind of stretch between, like, it's such a build-up to Christmas, and then there's this kind of everything feels like it's kind of shut down and slow right now, and um, the holiday season, boy, the holiday season, you know, the, the scriptures say we are to mourn with those who mourn, celebrate with those who celebrate, and there's something about the holidays that really brings both to the surface, right? There's um, I think if we won't do this because it can be a tender kind of a thing, but if we went around and said, how was Christmas for some of you, it would be all celebration kind of stuff, right? You're, we're so happy to see family, so happy to have time, and so happy to see loved ones, and it would be almost all celebratory across the board, right? And then for some of you, I know if we said, how was Christmas time, you'd, if the honest answer would be, it was hard, right? Um, some... Some of us, we just got some crazy family dynamics that have to be managed. So you love the family God's given you, but sometimes that can be some craziness that comes with it. Um, sometimes just just the sheer being in contact with loss. Right? I was in pretty regular text communication with just a couple of my friends who've had so tremendous loss over the last year. And there's something about the holiday time that just brings the pain of that loss really to the surface in a very tender kind of a way. Right? And so they're both true, right? That, that we celebrate with those who celebrate, we mourn with those who mourn. So glad to be together on a Sunday like this. I thought Shereen did a really great job, too, of setting the stage. There is something about that New Year's time where there's this reset. The, um, in fact, Shereen, that was a great passage. I was looking it up. Second Corinthians 4. I'm going to memorize that. Do not lose hearts. That's a really powerful phrase that um, we're being renewed day by day. And uh, so that, that's what I'd like to do today. We'll start a new series in the new year next Sunday. We're going to take the language of the Apostle Paul in um, Colossians 1 and 2. Um, this has come up a lot over the past year of River City, but if you're newish, you'll be the first time you're hearing it. Um, one of the things the Apostle Paul talks a lot about is that the person of Jesus, right? In Christmas, we just celebrate the fact that God came into the human flesh, incarnated into the human experience, was a physical human being while being fully God. One of the things the Apostle Paul regularly reflects on is that the person of Jesus, this is really a wild idea, the person of Jesus captures the full essence of the entire reality of who God is. The eternal reality of who God is was fully seen in the person of Jesus, which is amazing that a single human being could capture the fullness of who God was, right? Um, so the way Paul says it in Colossians 1 is that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so that'll be our New Year series. We're going to look at how Jesus the person bears witness to the image of the invisible God. And that's one of the, that's one of the daunting but wonderful realities of being a Christian is that you are follow, we are following a God that we cannot see at least through the natural sight, and yet we're given all the different ways to see God, even though God's not visible in the ways we always would wish God is. And so that'll be the new series we start next year. On this standalone Sunday here, I would like to use it as a way to kind of reflect on the past year, to look into the new year. And so, um, you know, I fall into that camp, uh, as Shreen was saying, that 
they make a lot of money off of her at these times with the new journals. I don't buy the journals, but I do follow in the camp. I always, in the past, I've done the informal surveys of like who's into the New Year's resolution and who's not. And it always feels like it's like a three-quarter, one-quarter thing. So like a quarter of you are like bio humbugs. You don't want to like be doing New Year's resolutions right now. So you'll just have to bear with us today. Um, but for those of us who do kind of enjoy taking the time to reflect on the past year, look ahead. So what I'm going to do today, kind of a different approach than what I typically do on a Sunday, but I'm going to share with you the tool I use these days to reflect on my own sense of spiritual vitality. I think it is helpful and important to have kind of a vision of what spiritual vitality looks like, have some kind of a mechanism for measuring, taking stock of how you're doing on that. And so, you know, lots of disclaimers before doing this, right? This is just my take on it. This is, there's not like a single passage of the Bible that says, here's how to do a New Year's reflection on how you're doing spiritually and uh, you know, so this is my take on it, and I could be missing something. Um, so I hope I'm not, but I, I could be. Um, and I guess just another disclaimer I want to say: I, w- one of the reasons I think something like this is important, I think, I think what, a lot of what we do on a Sunday to Sunday is we zone in on certain parts of the Christian life and try to really understand that. I think there's something to be said for doing that from time to time, um, or on an ongoing basis. Sometimes I think it's helpful to just take a step back and look at the big picture of what we're trying to do. And so this is a big picture kind of a sermon. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. <laughs> In fact, the way I use it in my own life, I think of it almost like a car dashboard. Right? You know, the dashboard of a car, you've got these different gauges that says, how's the oil doing? How's the gas doing? How's the temperature doing, right? Um, I think it can be helpful to have a dashboard of sorts like that, spiritually speaking, where you can look at these different gauges and say, how is this one doing? How's this one doing? How's this one doing? How's this one doing? And so I'm going to go through eight different gauges. So I'm gonna, we're going to move fast. It's going to be a lot of volume of information, but hopefully pretty accessible and simple at the same time. And so... One of the big reasons behind that is I think it's helpful to have kind of a broad view of what God is trying to do in our lives. And to say it negatively, um, sometimes if you focus just on one or two of them, while the one or two is really important, if you do it to the neglect of others, you can actually become a really sick person even as you're doing some of the things well. Because when things are done out of balance, it creates, right, even the human body, it's, a, it's designed to work in conjunction with each other, right? And so when you do certain things but neglect others, I think that can be very problematic. So this is my best shot at trying to say if we're going to look at a dashboard that got to kind of the full range of the kinds of things we need to be doing spiritually, that's what I'm trying to do. One last disclaimer, um, I don't have anything about the physical body on this, which I just feel the need to say is because I think the physical body is important too. The Bible says that body is the temple of God, and so I actually think it's really important to be monitoring our physical health too, but that's not anywhere on this one. I'm really just looking spiritually, so lots of disclaimers. Y'all still with me so far? Did I lose you already? So um, I'm going to start it in a passage. This passage is really beautiful. I'm not going to spend much time. It's really just more of the kind of launching point, Um, but I'm going to show you where this comes from. So Sam, if you don't mind, let's bring up um, uh, Mark chapter 3, and we're going to uh, start with this as our starting point. So Mark, Mark chapter 3, so, uh, so Jesus, of course, had 12 disciples that he spent the most intensive leadership development time with. Um, the selection of those is recorded in all four gospel accounts. I like Mark's version because he bottom lines it very quickly. So this is how Mark describes um, the process of God leading Jesus to select his disciples. Mark three thirteen and 14, um, Mark says, Jesus went up on a mountainside in a spirit of prayer, so that he was really doing it in union with God, and called to them those he wanted, and they came to them. He appointed 12 that, he might, that they might be with him and that he might send them out. And I'm going to stop right there. The passage keeps going. There's a lot in there. But uh, 
when I think of what God is trying to do in the lives of each one of us, actually, if you don't mind, Sam, leave it up for just one more second. When I think of what God is trying to do, I actually think, for those of us who take seriously that we want to follow Jesus and be formed by Jesus, I think Jesus is doing the same thing with us that he did with his 12. I think he creates community, and it's important that we realize this happens in the context of community, right? That their formation was going to happen in the context of a community, the 12 of them with him. So community is an important piece. I'm not going to get into that today, but that's kind of the backdrop of all spiritual formation. And then the two key words for me in this, when I think of discipleship, it says his, his large intention was that they would be with him. Say that phrase with me, with him, and that he might send them out. Say, send them out. All right? I, I, I think of this as the two big categories of formation of what Jesus is doing with us, that he wants to teach his followers how to be with him. And I think there's a lot to that, because when we're with him, we're learning how to be in deep, intimate relationship with God. We are learning how to be deeply connected to the heart of God. And that's a learned thing. That's not just a checkbox thing. All relationships are a learned thing, right? It's a learned thing to be with God in meaningful ways. In fact, just even... Just being comfortable to be alone in God's presence is a huge step in itself, isn't it, right? Because some people, some of us, we get freaked out when we're alone in God's presence. We don't even know what to do. We don't even know where to start. Learning how to be with God is just an enormous part of the transformation process. And so the first four that I'll do will be kind of under this idea of learning how to be with Jesus. But then just importantly, I think these have to be adjoined. It says he wanted to teach them how to be with God, and then he wanted to teach them how to be sent. Say that word, Sent. Right. We come back to this time to time. Uh, I like the Latin version of this. For a thousand years, we only had the Latin translation of the Bible way before it was ever in English. And so the word that we use in English, sent, in Latin, the word is missio or mission. And that can sound like a really big, fancy word. All mission means at the end of the day is that you're sent. Right? And so Jesus wanted, as they learned how to be with God and to walk with God in a uni- unified kind of a way, they were also to learn what it meant to be sent by Jesus into mission. And so the second set of four that I'll be doing will around that. So that's kind of where I'm going. We're going to look at, we're going to kind of turn the corner and look at a dashboard. I'm going to do kind of four dials for each one that I think are reflective of the kind of wide screen of the Bible. When we look at what does it mean to be with, you know, how, how do I measure if I'm actually growing, improve, you know, improving in terms of learning how to be with four rounds since. So sound good? If you're a note taker, we'll be doing this very quickly. I'll give you kind of an anchor passage for each of them. At least um, there'll be multiple passages for each one, but I'll give you kind of what for me an anchor passage for each one. And then it goes without saying, I won't be able to stay long on each one. I'm going to go through eight, eight points. is about seven more than I usually do. So, uh, um, uh, so we'll do four at a time and we'll just kind of make our way through them. So again, kind of the big picture behind this is trying to say, what does spiritual vitality look like? Right? And if I look backwards over the past year and look for some kind of a way to say, how am I doing spiritually? I think this could serve as a way to consider how you've been doing over the last year. This isn't about a grading yourself. It's just about kind of measuring, you know, in the same way you look at the gas thing and say, oh, I could, at the halfway point, I could little, use a little bit more. Um, and then as we go into the new year, maybe it's a way to think of what are some arenas I already feel like I'm doing strong in? What are some arenas that maybe I could prayerfully consider, you know, trying to put a plan together to grow. Make sense? All right, so let's do the first one. Let's do kind of the category of with God. Can you guys all see this, uh, these, this graphic? Okay. So these would be um, no particular order necessarily, but when I, when I, it's, I'm going to use a lot of I statements today. I, these are things I think affect all of us, but I'm going to just use I statements because I'm, this is how I think about spiritual vitality in my own life, how I measure how I'm doing. So start with intimate prayer. I'm going to start there. 
uh, intimate prayer, and I'm putting that word intimate in, par- in particular because though I think there's many dimensions to prayer, my own take on scripture is that, that at the center of prayer is learning how to walk intimately with, again, the word with, learning how to walk intimately with God is what's at the center of prayer. There's a lot of passages that could develop this. I'm using the Matthew 6 version of this as the anchor text. Um, This is the one that precedes um, the Lord's Prayer, the Matthew version of the Lord's Prayer. But I think what goes up to that is really significant. You know, I I really think when the disciples watched Jesus, and what an amazing opportunity that would have been, right, to be formed by the actual person of God, the Son of God, in 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 the person of Jesus. But when they watched Jesus, it appears from the way they interacted with him that what maybe stood out more than anything to them as they watched Jesus and were learning how to be formed by him was the way he intimately interacted with God the Father in prayer. This is what consistently caught their attention, that he would every morning go off into the off into nature, spend 10, 15, 20 minutes, an hour, two hours, a whole day sometimes, and he would go and just enjoy his time with God. He would go before he would do any kind of ministry, he would go and get in tune with God the Father. And even though God, Jesus was God in the flesh, he was constricted in the sense that he was a human being. He had to rely on the supernatural wisdom of God. And so the sense of being dialed in intimately to God in the context of prayer was such a key part of how Jesus worked. And so in Matthew 6 and in other places, the disciples come to him and they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And when they say teach us how to pray, I don't think they're asking for some kind of a formula. I don't think they're asking for something mechanical. They're, they're saying, teach us how to walk in union with God the way you walk in union with God. Teach us to dial into the Spirit of God in the way that you dial into the Spirit. And so Matthew 6, that's that part leading up to the Lord's Prayer. Jesus really uses this intimate language. He says, he says, you should craft out, you should carve out intimate spaces. Go to a place, go to a room, go to a closet, and pray before you do anything. Get intimately connected to God. And then he teaches us the Lord's Prayer as a way to practice becoming more intimate with God. But when I'm thinking of asking the question, how am I doing? How do I want to be doing moving forward? Intimate prayer is where I always start. I, I, I want to ask myself of that. To what degree do I feel like prayer is just a natural rhythm of my life, right? To what degree do I feel like I'm with God and God is with me? That's one of the central names of Jesus at Christmas time, right? Is Emmanuel, God is with us. God's design is that we would live with a sense that God is with us, that that wouldn't just be something we believe. It would be something we would live with a sense with, a sense of. And so intimate prayer is for me always where I start when I'm considering how am I doing spiritually. Tracking so far? All right, let's go to the next one. I'm calling this one biblical reflection, you could use other ways of saying this. I'm kind of merging two things together. Some people would prefer that the study of Bible and meditation of Bible would be considered two different activities. I'm just kind of rolling them into one for purposes of this. Biblical reflection. I'm using Psalm 1 for this. You could use a lot of passages. But Psalm 1, right, the book of Psalms is all about prayer. But Psalm 1 opens the Psalms by saying, Blessed is the man or woman who delights in the law of God day and night. For he or she will be like a tree planted by streams of water. Right? And so um, the, uh, of all the images we have in the Bible of reflecting on Scripture, that will remain my favorite, not only because the picture of a tree drawing sustenance from the water is so powerful, but I love, uh, growing up, I used to think of quiet times as this kind of disciplined regimen thing I had to do or else God would be upset with me. And sometimes we do have to be disciplined. But when Psalm 1 talks about it, it doesn't sound like a discipline. It doesn't sound like a regimen. It says, bless the one who delights in God's law. 
right? Uh, the Bible, I think, is designed to help us delight in God because it reveals who God is to us in ways that we just can't see outside of that. And so I think God can speak in other ways too, but the Bible is always going to be the central way in which God reveals himself to us. And so I think there's going to be a wide gamut of how we do it. For me, I've shared this before, but for me, for whatever reason, reading the Bible on my own is not as helpful for me as listening to somebody else preach on it. So I've got a series of my favorite podcast preachers, and I just, every week, I just try to make sure there's one passage I'm just kind of really sitting in for that week and asking that God would reveal something new about God's self to me as I reflect on that. So as always, we could get into the hows, and there's not really time for that. Uh, in terms of measuring progress around spiritual vitality, that's always the second one I come to is kind of my own relationship with the Bible. To what degree is the roots of my treeness, so to speak, drawing from the waters that are the law of God, that are the delights of God that are found in Scripture? So that's what I consider as my second dial. So one and two done. Good? Track with me? All right. Third, let's go to emotional awareness. Um, this is one, so much could be said about this, but um, this is one that unfortunately, at least certainly in my upbringing, got kind of divorced oftentimes in Christian circles, there's a lot of intellectual knowledge that we acquire, but very little attention paid to the state of our emotions. And um, I, I think with the way Jesus teaches that being in tune with kind of what's happening with us emotionally, whether it's positive ones like happiness or joy or um, excitement, or whether it's anxiety or fear or anger or sadness that's, that, that's really got a hold of us, being in touch with those and being able to bring those to God is just one of the most critical things that we can do. Um, I think you'd almost make the case nothing undercuts your spiritual progress faster than when you're unaware of your emotions. Right? Even just, if I can kind of loop these back in a little bit, in the Lord's Prayer, it starts with praying, Our Father who art in heaven, right? Well, it's going to be real hard for you, for me, for any of us, to pray in a vibrant kind of a way to God the Father if we've not dealt with our own Father issues. And in case you didn't know this, there's not a person in this room that doesn't have father issues. And there's not a person in this room who doesn't have mother issues. And that's even if you had a present healthy one. I'm going to do my best as a dad, but my kids are going to have dad issues. I should just be okay with that now. They're going to need some therapy at some point to help fill in some of the gaps where I miss because I'm human and despite my best efforts, right? And, and there's, there's a gamut for all of us. And when there's, when we're still processing through neglect or overperformance or absence or... Um, um, abuse or whatever, th th these all become part of the lived experience, right, that shape the ability to receive the love of God. And when we're not in tune with where we're at emotionally, it's a huge detriment to the overall spiritual vitality. So I put the Psalm 1 up there, Psalm 139, where David says, search me, O God, know my heart, know my anxieties, know kind of what's happening, and even, to, even if I don't know them, help me to know them. So that would be the third one that I kind of think of as part of the with that I think as Jesus is teaching us how to be with God, we are to be in tune with our emotions. Last one on that, uh, when Jesus says we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, it's an interesting. So he says heart, and then he says soul, which is the Greek word suke, which is where we get psychology, right? I don't even think you can love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul when you're not in tune with what's happening inside of you. So emotional awareness, I put that one as third. And then the final one where I'm always checking in, it's a very famous image, but I'm, for character development, I'm putting the fruit of the Spirit here, Galatians chapter 5. Uh, this is such a key part when, when Jesus is trying to form us, 
when Jesus is trying to transform us. In fact, one of the ways the New Testament describes the transformation process, it says the Spirit of God is trying to turn us into the same type of character that Jesus had. Essentially, Jesus is the blueprint, and the Spirit is transforming us in accordance with the blueprint of who Jesus Christ is. And the Apostle Paul used the fruit of the Spirit to describe the fullness of who Jesus is, what internal character looks like. And we're just not meant to be doing stuff in the external world without being integritous, without being moving from a place of inward transformation. And so I think the fruit of the Spirit is just one of the really classically helpful ways to kind of take a snapshot of how is my own internal character development coming? As Jesus Christ is transforming me, as the Spirit of God is transforming me, how is my own character development coming along? And so when I'm, when I, when I, so for me, when I think of the with part, if I think in the same way that Jesus did this with his disciples and he's trying to do that with us, I really think this is what he does. I think he puts us in the context of community and first he teaches us how to be with God. And I'm sure there's more that could be added to that, but these feel substantial enough to really give me a sense of how is my progress going in terms of being with God and what are arenas where I need to be really much more focused heading into the new year. So that makes sense on the width side. We're like small enough today. I almost wish we could like get in a circle and like dialogue about it afterwards. But we 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 can do we can do that afterwards. So th- th- those are four around width. Sound good? All right. We'll turn the corner. We'll do sent. Remember, sent is to be on mission. And so I'll do four. So these are the four I kind of go to that I think are just kind of classically represented throughout Scripture. First one, I want to start with prayer again because I think this is what unites the two. I'm going to call this one missional prayer. I'm taking this from John 5. This is one of the most meaningful passages for me. John 5, um, sorry, I'm trying to measure where we're at on time, how long we go on each of these. I'm going to go a little bit longer on this one, then I'll go faster on the other three. So John chapter 5, um, to me, is one of the best passages in the whole Bible that brings together the inner and the external, the inward world transformation and the external world stuff that we're supposed to be involved in. In John chapter 5, Jesus is traveling to the temple for Sabbath, as he would have done every year. And on this particular year, when he passes the pool of Bethesda, which is a place where those who were, had physical infirmities, it was almost a kind of a homeless community for those who had physical infirmities. As Jesus was passing on this particular year, um, there was a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years, it says in John chapter 5. A man who had been an invalid for 38 years. And on this year, for reasons that Jesus will later explain, Jesus heals the man, and the man who had been an invalid for 38 years is now no longer an invalid. And so it turns into this kind of side conversation. The Pharisees miss the bigger intention of Jesus' healing, what that says about God. They focus on the fact that he healed on the Sabbath. They get into this kind of dispute about that. Um, but in, in, in verse 17 and verse 19, Jesus says something really profound about the way he views mission in his own body and in his own kind of life. Jesus says, I can only do what I see the Father doing. I can only do what I see the Father doing. And then he adds in verse 9, he says, the Father's always at work, but the power in me comes only when I see what the Father is doing. And that's been helpful for me for a number of reasons. For one, there's just all... Anytime God moves miraculously, it's worth celebrating, of course, and we should celebrate anytime God moves miraculously. Um, I've, always, I've always struggled with the fact for every time God moves miraculously, there's a hundred other questions that come up for me, right? When God heals one person, it's like, well, why didn't God heal everybody else, right? When God answers one prayer, it's like, why didn't God answer all the other prayers? When one person survives an accident, why didn't everybody else survive the accident, right? I mean, there are some very haunting questions, the ones I don't have the best answers to, uh, but it is insightful in John chapter 5 you know, because Jesus walked by this place where there's all these people struggling, and thank God he healed this man who had the, 
the, who had been an invalid for 38 years, but what about all the other people who had physical issues? And for that matter, he had probably passed that guy the year before when he went to the temple. So why not at 37 years did that guy get healed? Why not at 36 years? These are big answers, big questions we don't always know the answers to. What we do know on the positive is that Jesus said, for whatever reason, at that time, God the Father was moving and said, I'm ready to heal this man right now. And when Jesus as a human being intersected with what God was doing in that moment, this miraculous thing happened. And that's a long way of getting to this first one of missional prayer. I think on the with side, we're learning how to be connected to God the Father in the context of prayer. But all sense of being sent, and this can feel scary if walking with the Spirit is a scary idea to you because it's just not always as cut and dry as we want it to be. But ultimately, even though there's steps behind these things, ultimately the vision is that we want to be so unified with God that we're alert to the Spirit when God is calling us to do something. Right? I think the most transformational conversations that will ever happen between you and somebody else is when God is already working in somebody's heart and then God prompts you to step in a conversation with that person that moment and you kind of step into a moment where God is already at work in that person. Of course, we never know it at the time, but um, God being at work and you stepping into that moment creates these very powerful realities where we see God move, I think, in very visible and concrete kinds of ways. And so in the same way in John 5, when Jesus said, my father's always at work, what he was essentially saying is, God's always at work. My job is to get in tune with that. My job is to hear and see that which the father is already saying. And that can be a far-reaching vision, but it's also, I, I would I, I think I would say that that's the most dominant image when I think of what ties together the intimate prayer that I'm struggling to see and the missional pr- prayer is the sense of getting so comfortable with the presence of God that I can actually tell sometimes when God is moving for me to step into something. So that's the first one, missional prayer. We'll move quickly to these last three. Um, witness is the one I want to go to next, Acts 1.8. Um, it's another sending kind of a passage. Acts one eight is right before Jesus is about to ascend, and he he speaks with the with the disciples one last time. And this is the word he uses. He says, um, "In fact, I love the word witness. It's been misused at times, but the word witness, even if you take it out of the biblical sense, when you witness something, you've seen something, right? If you're a witness to an accident that happened and go to court, you're, you're bearing witness to something you saw, right? And so when Jesus says, I'm sending you as witnesses, it's got kind of this two parts to it. It's got this sense that you've seen something, right? You, you've witnessed something in your own life, and now you're going to go bear witness to that which you've seen to people who need to hear it. And I think this is the call on every Christian. I think um, and it, it can go wrong on either side. It's actually hard to go tell anybody about something that you've not actually experienced yourself, Right? If you've not borne witness to something in your own life, it's hard to tell about it. But it's also possible to bear witness to something in your own life and never tell people about it. And so Jesus uses the word witness as a way to send people, that they are to bear witness to what they've seen. So all kind of implications for that. But that's one of the things I come back to a lot when I'm looking at my own spiritual vitality saying, is witness something I'm thinking about? Is it something that I'm being conscientious to be in tune with God's spirit about, to bear witness to him and his kingdom when opportunities present themselves Third one, a word we hear a lot here at River City, but reconciliation. Make sure you're still awake. Say that word with me, reconciliation. I can't prove it, but you've heard me say this if you've been here. I still believe that if the Apostle Paul only got one word to describe what it means to be a Christian, I feel convinced that reconciliation is the word he'd use. 
I think if he had to summarize the entirety of the Christian walk in one word, it would be reconciliation. Because it gets to the whole thing. 2 Corinthians 5, the anchor passage I gave there, which is my favorite passage of reconciliation. But Paul starts it by saying, God has first reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, right? which is the spiritual dimension of reconciliation. But then he says, but then from there, um, Jesus has sent us, there's the mission word again, Jesus has sent us as ambassadors of reconciliation to the world. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5, that passage, says something that Paul never says anywhere else. Um, 2 Corinthians 5 says, Jesus is making his appeal to the world by sending us out as ambassadors of reconciliation. Right? So to the degree that we live into this call of being reconcilers is the degree, I think you could argue, that the appeal of Jesus is made to the world. It's a very, very significant word. And so... Um, again, like all of them, much can be said about it, but this is a check and I do of what is, what is the degree to which I'm being sensitive to the work of the Spirit around reconciliation? What is the degree to which I'm thinking about how Jesus is at work in the world and how I as a disciple am being sent to participate in that? And I use that as a way to consider where I've been and as a way to consider where God is sending me. And then finally, these words are very connected to each other, but I'm pulling them apart for the, the sake of considering spiritual vitality. The final one I'm putting on here is justice because this word stands on its own so often in lots of passages we could use here like the other ones. But I love the Isaiah 58 one because it links the two. Um, Isaiah 58 starts out talking about worship and being connected to God in that way. But then Isaiah 58 moves from there and says, but worship doesn't become true worship until it's tied to justice. As it says in the middle passage that true worship is when we are loosing the chains of injustice that true worship must manifest. One of my favorites, it's one of the images that kind of informs our neighborhood development stuff. Isaiah 58 says, true worship has not made itself manifest until you become repairer of walls, restorers of broken streets. And so I just don't think it's possible to be deeply spiritually connected to God the Father without thinking about justice a lot. It's not one or the other. It's not... Either we have quiet times or we engage in acts of justice. No, it's as we get in tune with God in a spirit of worship, that will always be the way it's intended to be made manifest, is that we participate in our own chains being broken, our own chains being loosened, but but, but being conscientious, being spirit-led, being awake people who say, where are the chains in our neighborhoods, in our city? Where are the chains? Where are the social chains that Jesus is trying to break, trying to loose? And how do I open myself to participating in that, to being sent. And so I'm saying this along the way, but I don't see sent as a one-time thing. I see sent as a daily way of life. We should be ready to be sent at all times, wherever we're at. That I really think this isn't meant to produce guilt. I think it's meant to be a vision that lifts our head higher. We're meant to be so alert to the work of the Spirit that wherever we're at, we're at Target buying something, we're at a park with friends, we're, we're, we're at a restaurant, we should just always be alert to what is God doing and is there a role God would have me to play in what God is doing. It's not to prove something to God. It's not to earn something from God. It's actually, I think, to circle it back to Mark 3. I think it's relocating us in the two primary activities of what Jesus is always doing with us. I think he's wanting us to have this deep, deep sense that we're with God and that God is with us. This is what sustains everything. When Jesus sends out the disciples in, in, in Matthew 28, he says, go um, and I will be with you. That's like what you're to carry with you everywhere you go is that God is with you. And what, it's such a joy. 
It's such a joy when in your own life you get a sense that God is with you. That's just one of the greatest joys in the human experience when you get these senses that God is with you. And I think, I, I'm 45 now, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping I've only started touching what it looks like to be aware of the way God is with me. I'm hoping that the best is still yet ahead, that like there will just be this deep sense of withness that I'm drawing from. Because I think it's already true. I think God is absolutely surrounding all of us right now. But we just tend to not be aware of it in powerful ways. And so I think this is one of the primary things Jesus is doing is to teach us how God is already with us and we can be with God. And then to join the mission of God that's already happening, where we are continually representing ourselves back to God. Um, Luke 10, one of the other famous passages where Jesus talks about mission, Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the harvest. I'm the Lord of the harvest. I'm the, I'm the one who, who is the caretaker of all this life, all this love that God has for the world. And he says, I want to give this love, but the, 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 the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, what he says. And he finishes that by saying, therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to be sent into his work. And we're to be prayerful, we're to be alert, we're to be conscientious to be presenting ourselves to God, open to being directed to join in his work. Amen? So I hope that's of help to you. You know, I think you can modify it for yourself. But um, those eight represent for me a whole way of viewing spiritual vitality, of reflecting on how God's been at work in my own life over the past year. It's given me some very concrete ways to think about my own growth plan going into 2019. Hoping and praying that'll be helpful for you. So... Yeah, go ahead. I'll invite the worship team back up, and um, let me just kind of say a word of prayer for us as we, even just spiritually and communally, get prepared to transition out of 2018 and 2019. So just join me, if you will, for a moment. This is really just a moment to kind of reset our hearts again, and we'll, we'll have one final time of worship here, of responding here together. So, dear God, we love and are grateful for the fact that you are a God of new beginnings, that you old things new. In fact, thinking of that language of 2 Corinthians 5, the reconciliation passage, that everything starts with this reality that we are now new creations. We are new creations. And I'm just, let's, let's just sit in that for a moment. When the Spirit of God indwells you, there's new things inside of you. The Spirit of God bringing the blood of Jesus into your blood, bringing the DNA of God into your DNA, breathing life into dead places, bringing hope into places of despair. We're new creations. We're new beings. So God, as this calendar year prepares to come to a close and as we get ready to enter into a new year, I pray that we would be able to celebrate the ways you have moved in our lives this year, that we will not look through a deficit lens, but through a celebratory lens of the ways that you have connected us to your love, connected us to the needs of the world, connected us to your goodness and grace, connected us to who you've made us to be and how we can participate. And then we recognize that there's there's always more. It's not more in the sense of living with guilt, but more in the sense of you've called us to yourself. You've called us to be transformed into your image, to participate in your work. And so we, we look forward to the new things you're going to do with us. We pray that some of the ways you've revealed yourself in Scripture will serve as guideposts for us, will help us to have a vision for how it is that you would have us continue to move forward into your will. So we thank, we're thankful. We know it's all a gift. It all comes as a gift from you. And 
things are not meant to be seen as guilt things. They're meant to be seen as grace things. So continue to move in our lives. Uh, we, we hand over this upcoming year to you. And as we finish with our last time of worship in the new year, God, hear our voices, prepare us to step into the things you have for us this new year. Amen. Well, what a great word to finish off 2018 and move into 2019. Let's say it together. Freedom. 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 Sound like Braveheart. Did you ever see that movie? That's how it ends. Freedom. Anyway, Jesus says, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. So let us move into this new year with a sense of freedom. Love y'all. Be blessed. Sing a little louder than before